All right. Uh, pin work. 40. 40. <laughs> Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 302. I am one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Featherer. Hello, hello. And we are also joined this evening, morning, afternoon, drive to work by the one and only Marcos Sanchez. Hello. Hello. Marcos is joining us as, drumroll please, I'm not actually inserting the drum our new third host. Yes, he is one of the heads of this mighty uh, Cerebrus or Cerebrus or Sakama, Kyberus or Spock Zikama. or whatever Does, you want. Sakama has three heads, Zikama. right? Okay. Well, I was going more classic literature, but if we want to do magic, sure. <laughs> what's the what's the dog? What's the three-headed dog from from Theros? Cerebus. Is it actually Cerebus? Oh, well, from from Theros. From I, Theros. I don't know. No, we don't know. It's, We're that unnamed dog. Kunaros. We're the, that's right. We are the bestest boy. Oh, yeah. Um, just combined. By our powers combined, we are the bestest boy. Or the goodest boy. Um, yes. But, hey, Marcos, since it has been a hot nearly 10 episodes since you've been here, which is about uh, 20... It's, it's, it's a lot of months. It's like four or five months. Since you were on as a, a guest, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Allow myself to introduce myself again. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so my background, I started judging in 2015. Uh, my judge journey has taken me all around the country. I started off in Indiana. Shout out to the Fort Wayne Judge Group that helped me get started out there. Uh, you actually had one of my mentors on here for the 300th, uh, Dave Eldon. Shout out to him. Uh, and then ended up moving out to New York for a while. And actually, as of a couple of weeks ago, actually just moved down to sunny slash rainy Florida. So making my way all around this country to judge magic events and engage in all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, beyond that, I've been doing a lot of judging over the years. I've been also very heavily project based. I was in the customer service project in the old judge program. Uh, help found and run Rules Day Tuesday, which also came up here beforehand. And if I had to name my judge brand, it's largely focused on the kind of soft skills area of, you know, customer service, which was my first big uh, episode that I came in here for. And that was kind of like the core to my identity. I'm the, I'm the Hugsy judge. I like to keep it fun. So that's where I come from. <laughs> All right. Hmm. Uh, Charles, what would you say your personal brand is? I thought I was the Hugsy judge. I'm sad now. No, it takes uh, my two personal people to brand, hug. It does, and that's important. Um, it is. I mean, you could you could go hug a tree. That's a whole, never mind. That's a whole really weird reference that I don't <laughs> want to have to explain right now. Um, no, my my brand really is trying to make sure that uh, players are involved and having a good time and mentoring new judges as much as possible. So I, I think there's a, a lot of crossover there. What about you, Brian? Yeah, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your brand, uh, Brian? I, I am probably <laughs> the altruistic misanthrope. 
Um, I really, I, I, I really don't like you, but I want you. I will fight very hard to make sure you don't suck. By our powers combined. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to get rings made up. I can see it now. I, I just want, I just want you to not be. I want you to come. Come, I'll help you not be bad. And then once you're not bad, please, please go away and leave me alone and let me sit in the dark. And then come find me or Charles for a hug. Yeah, yeah. We're, yes. we're we're gonna need to get the uh, Megazord activated here or something. <laughs> yes. All right. Um. So since we have a new host, uh, we thought it would be kind of a good idea since this is a new beginning. Uh, we thought it would be kind of cool to not talk about the judge drama that uh, started just yesterday, and instead talk about <laughs> new beginnings. Like the beginning of a turn. There's judge drama. Yeah. <laughs> who, who knew? It spikes. We're, mo- it spikes. we're moving Basically, on. We're moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> nothing to see here. There's there's a lot of things that happen at the beginning of a game in terms of shuffling, deciding who goes first, all those things. But there's actually a specific order. There is. And yeah, and we you don't know just what? sit down and. Start throwing cards at each other? When it's all... I mean, you can if you want a penalty. But these are things that happen. They have a specific order. But you might not actually be aware of them or know how they fit all together. Because for several of them, it doesn't really matter until something goes wrong. And it does. So, uh, that is what we're going to talk about. Pre-game procedure. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, in able to talk about this, we have to have some terms, right? We have to have some understanding of of the different things that we're going to be referencing. Um, one of the most common things that we'll talk about here are, are sideboards. And a sideboard is a group of extra cards that you have, or additional cards that you have, that you use to modify your deck in between games of a match. So, whenever you have multiple games that you're playing, uh, you have the ability to change the your deck to meet the demands of the match that you find yourself in. Uh, a sideboard is at most 15 cards. It could be less, I guess. I'm not sure why you'd want it to be less, but I've seen 14 or 13 card sideboards. Sometimes it's just because a player doesn't have one of the key cards that they want to have in the sideboard, or they weren't sure what to put in. Um, in a limited event, the sideboard is everything else that you opened or drafted. So if it's a sealed event, and if you opened six packs or four packs or whatever number of packs you opened uh the cards that you don't use to build your deck are your actual sideboard um in a draft event it's yeah pro tip in any of these fun type of events that you might see at magic cons like whole entire box sealed that means your entire booster box every single card and to answer questions i've encountered before no you can't spend 20 minutes looking through a booster box worth of cards for something to pull out of an opponent's sideboard for an unset card just so you know unless it's a team event and then you actually have to have registered sideboard for the cards that you're going to use correct yes team event sealed uh big box events very weird play one very uh, i'm sure you'll I'm, I'm sure you'll have a good time yes um in a comparel event your sideboard must be registered with your deck list some formats, which shall not be named here, uh, i.e. Commander, don't have a sideboard unless your playgroup does. 
question mark wish cards you know those types of things happen um, continuous construction at limited regular is rel is still a thing so you can change your deck before the first game or after you've played a match you can decide that your deck is hot garbage and you want to completely rebuild it go right ahead you use it using the cards that are in your sideboard at that point in time and that's and that's for uh was it regular regular rel events limited mm -hmm. regular rel events that do not require a deck list right you can also require deck lists at regular rel I mean, you can. Yeah, should use a whole different. If you're if you're requiring <laughs> deck lists at regular rel, uh, you've probably call me. Call me. <laughs> no, no, no. You you probably raised your prizes too high for a regular rel event. Yeah, and I say this knowing full well that at the last two command fests there have been some deck lists uh, for regular event, but. I'm just saying your your prize pool is probably too high, and you should probably look into running a competitive relevant. So, anywho, that's not starting the game. So that's sideboards. Marcus, you got something? Yes. So uh, beyond that, we're also going to be discussing here and there about who's on the play and who's on the draw and the general play and draw rule. Now, this is where you're going to determine who the player to play first or be on the draw first is going to be now of course in any one-on-one -on -one event the player that goes first does not draw a card unless you're doing like a full-out multiplayer event so think about you know the game which must not be named commander there because there are four players everybody draws on their first turn even the person who's starting off the game but in most of your sanctioned events that you're going to run at your local game store at a magic con those are all sanctioned events and more often than not they're going to be one-on-one -on -one. In which case, you would skip your draw on your first turn. Now, a lot of people do get confused when you get into two-headed giant land because, well, there's four of us around the table just like when we play commander, so clearly we must be able to draw on our first turn here too. But that's not the case, and that's because the two-headed giant format treats a singular team as one single player. So it's still one team versus one team, therefore the team that goes first will not draw. But when you have multiple entities, like in a multiplayer game, that's when you're good. Okay. Now, also, you're going to have the designated player. So let's say you decide a way to see who's going to go first. What you're actually assigning there is who the designated player is. And that designated player is going to decide if they want to play or draw. Uh, kind of like you see on Arena, that designated player is the one who gets the prompt. Do you want to play first or draw first? Also, you end up being the designated player if you lost the previous game automatically. That is just your responsibility to decide because you lost the previous game. Now, if this is the first game, then that designated player is determined by a random method, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and one really important... Now. What was that? You can just, just do it now, I think. I mean, sure. Uh, yeah, we can cover that because it's actually a lot more simple than people give it credit for. Use any random method to determine who is going to be the designated player to decide if they want to play or draw. That can be any random method. Spin downs are fine. Rock lobsters and scissors lizards are also fine. You can play rock, paper, scissors. You can basically do anything to make this random. It's not that big a deal. Roll some spin downs. It's fine. You don't need to get a judge involved in this because then at that point, we're just going to assign a random role for you. Yeah. Su superstition 
is not a reason to disapprove of a method. Correct. I don't want I don't want to roll high low because I always lose. I want to flip a coin. N- yeah. No, that's not a. Sorry. No. Just no. Gambler's fallacies yeah. are a thing. It's actually random. Whether you buy into it or not, just like the top of your deck is, blame Morth. Let's move on. Yeah. And just a, a quick aside for math. Um, there is occasionally the argument that if you uh, was if you roll dice, you can you can do odds or odds or evens, and someone will be like, "Oh, well, they're not statistically the same because I can't roll a one." Specifically, we're talking about rolling <laughs> two d sixes. Two d sixes, right? Yes, you roll two d sixes, and it's like, "Oh, well, that's not that's not fifty fifty. No, no, no. Draw it out. It's fifty fifty. It's because, just because because seven is the most common answer anyway. Yeah. So it, can get it, it works out. It works out. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 fine. Don't please please don't be that way. And if you're a judge, don't fall for it because at at a second mm-hmm. gl- at, at at a at an instant glance, you're like, yeah, there isn't a way to roll a one. <laughs> I right. Yeah. Like if you don't if you don't think about it, which is what got us a in this situation in the first place. If you don't think about it. Right. Choose the most efficient method that your opponent will agree with you. Um, I prefer at this point in time either rock paper scissors um, with the uh, rock lobster card or uh, or the one d six and call odd or even and roll. And that way, you know, you don't have to re-roll and re-roll and re-roll. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, lastly, in that end, when we get to the playoff rounds. Of, and this is going to typically apply competitive REL, but when we're talking about the designated player and who decides to go uh, player draw, the player with the higher standing at the end of Swiss gets to be that designated player. This for rule was one. made to, yes, for game one of whatever match you end up in. So let's say your eighth seed, even if you make it all to the way to the finals, you're never going to be able to be the designated player. If you were ranked First, after that, and you make it to the end. Well, congratulations! You're always a designated player for every match that you sit down for for game one. And this applies even when you do draft as the limited form as the format for the top eight, um, because you do randomly seat. You still have players that are ranked one through eight as they finished in the Swiss rounds, and whoever mm-hmm. had the highest ranking as they sit down to their matches is the person that determines play draw. They're the designated player. And you made this uh, note indeed. here, Brian. Yeah, yeah. So that rule about the the, uh, the the play draw rule with the higher standing coming out of Swiss, that rule was made to discourage people from intention to or to give people an incentive to play in the in the the last rounds of Swiss because it gives because playing and winning gives you an advantage. But turns out, IDing and going to Get something uh, to go eat. get food. Yeah. yeah to go yeah. get food is a larger advantage. Yes. Yeah. Not so, being hang not being hangry when you go into a top eight situation right. is uh is a great incentive. Yep. All right. So shoveling shoveling and randomization, we're gonna talk about that uh, uh a good amount, or there's gonna be several examples where we talk about shuffling and randomizing, so we're just gonna do all that description stuff nonsense here. Um so we talk about shuffling your deck. We talk about randomizing the deck. You're, you you got to do that at the start of the game. Um, you We say randomizing as 
getting your deck in a position where nobody knows the order of any particular card. It is not it is not reasonable for someone to know the order of their cards. Okay. Um so riffle shuffle, cut and riffle shuffle again, that kind of thing, lose the cards. That's some people might argue that that's not actually randomization because that's that's getting your deck into an unknown state. It's it's a quibble. We for this particular point, we just mean shuffle a whole bunch so that you don't know where anything is. Okay, that's that's what randomizing is. Um, you want to occasionally you might find when someone sits down and they'll look through their deck and they'll like move cards around in the deck. Okay, or they'll uh, I don't want to get into pile shuffling just yet, but they'll move a few cards <laughs> around, space things out. Okay, realistically. If you sh- if you you've got you know you know a big clump of lands together and you just spread them out and then you shuffle a bunch of times afterwards, you just undid all that that separating that you just <laughs> done. Okay, I understand that it feels it feels good, but if you think it actually is making a difference to your deck, then well, kind of aren't you cheating a little bit? <laughs> Either you're wrong just... or you're cheating. Yeah, pick one. Right. Right. And I, I realize that's a controversial thing because you're like, no, I'm just spreading things out. But you're spreading things out. And then you're supposed to shuffle so that, that sp- you're supposed to negate that spreading out through your shuffling. And if you're not shuffling well enough, you know, you're like, oh, well, well, I get better draws when I spread my lands out. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> huh. uh, did you just, did you just hey, admit friend, to something how many, there? How many, how many times did you shuffle after you did that? Oh, like eight or nine. two, two or three. Then oh, you're not two. shuffling. Then you're not shuffling yeah. enough. Oh, yeah, eight or nine. Quiet part you out didn't do anything there, anyway, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So pile sh- pile shuffling. Ooh, you are I'm going to interrupt you and correct okay. you, Brian. Pile oh, counting is yes. a thing. Oh, yes. All right. Because piling is not shuffling. It's not randomizing. I'm being very pedantic here, but no, no, no. That's that's fine. We were just we were just doing the the pedantic-y thing with uh with randomization yeah Yeah. okay so so if the goal is to lose track of where your cards are okay and if i start with a deck okay and that deck can be in any configuration including an ordered configuration where you sorted based on your favorite you, you sorted based on artist last name whatever uh or spells you know spells and then lands and stuff like that if you pile shuffle and you start with a known configuration. If you pile shuffle, you end up with a known configuration. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a pile shuffle is really not a shuffle because you did not lose track of any cards. Or rather, it should be expected that you did not lose anything. So what we do is, is we let you do a pile count once per game to make sure that you are presenting 60 cards. But you can't just sit there and pile shuffle and pile shuffle and pile shuffle and pile shuffle because that doesn't do anything with respect or that doesn't meet the goal of randomization. And you don't get to pile shuffle in between mulligans either. That once per game applies once. You don't get to do it either. And you don't get to do it mid game. Yep. The, The purpose, the reason why we allow it and the reason why it is called a pile count is because you are counting to make sure that you are presenting the correct number of cards to the opponent. If you are not, the next thing you do is not presenting cards to your opponent. What are you doing? You're just wasting time. 
Yep. And that's why we only allow you to do it once because we don't want you to waste time. Smiles. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. All right. So, so we, now we got that terminology out of the way. Yuck. Where do we begin? At the beginning. Finding our hey. opponents. Okay. <laughs> begin at the beginning. What is this, a Babylon 5 episode? Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. <laughs> so, so the very first thing that we do as a player, um, and, and as judges, it's important to understand the mechanics from the player's point of view, uh, is that we uh, are told that the round one pairings are posted, or whatever round we're in, and we check whatever the messaging system is for the pairings. Uh, messaging systems can take place uh, digitally uh, through your phone. They can be a uh, pairings board on a monitor in an in, in LGS. That happens fairly frequently. Or it can be paper pairing. Even to this day, large events will use paper pairings just because not everybody has a phone. So you get your pairings. That tells you the table number that you're supposed to sit at. And you move to that table number with all due reasonable haste. Don't run, don't you know, skip or, or do weird things, but, but figure out where your table number should be and move to it. If somebody happens to be sitting at that table number and you're in the row that they're sitting in, go to the row opposite so that you can sit down and face them. And you sit down and you confirm with the player that you're sitting at, that's sitting across from you, that they are the player that you're supposed to be playing. You know, say either your name or ask them if you can pronounce their name or you know how to pronounce their name. Say, hey, are you Charles? And when they say yes, you know you're in the right spot. Yep. So th the reason why we're kind of calling this out is, one, A, making sure that you're seated across from the correct person is will prevent some serious problems. Um, I had a at a um, Command Fest event... Uh, I had, it, it was funny because what happened was, is one player got into one, one seat and like the next four players didn't verify. And I had a chain where like everyone <laughs> for a block, I had four players just all had to shift down one. And then I had another, then the one guy that got up at the end, he was like, well, where are you supposed to be? And he's like, I don't know. I just sat in the seat. So we had to then go find, and he was way over yonder. I have no idea how he decided to sit three rows over, four tables down. It was it was That's two funny. two rows over, like twelve <laughs> tables down. But it was it was absolutely absurd. Is you know, guy guy comes up to me at the very beginning. He's like, I can't find my seat, and I go there, and there's someone sitting there, and I'm like, okay, so we find that person. Where's he supposed to be? Oh, right there. Okay, which of you two? That one. Okay, and just just did this weird zipper thing. Um, the other reason why it's 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 important to talk about this is for certain infractions like outside assistance, arriving at your match is when that turn when that penalty turns on. A conversation that you have by the register with your buddy can be fine, but that exact same conversation at the table once you've once you've arrived for your match can be outside assistance if you're talking about a particular player's deck. Yep, what your opponent is playing in particular is is yep. where we get really anxious about that. The other thing that's really important here, and, and it's not something that we see as much these days, but they still do exist, team events. Um, when you sit down for a team event, make sure that you are playing the correct player that you're supposed to be playing. Uh, sometimes the team events are, are constructed, so you'll have a standard player or a pioneer player, modern player or a legacy player. Make sure that the player, if you're playing standard, 
that you're sitting across from is also playing standard. Gets really awkward when they start to beat up on you with that legacy deck. Yeah, especially if it's legacy Merfolk. We won't talk about Merfolk here. <laughs> but you can also, this comes into play going back to the concept of outside assistance. There is another element here where you can review any notes that you've made before you sit down for your match. You can review all any of those notes up until the point where the game begins realistically. But once you start sitting down for your match, you have to start thinking about, you know, outside assistance. Can I look at, for example, a sideboard guide on my phone or a printout that I have with me? Uh, can I look at just, you know, basic strategies before I sit down and start playing the game? You can review all those notes up until the point where the game begins. And we're going to clearly define where that is later on down the line. All right, so we talked about uh, the, the play draw rule. We're going to determine who goes first per the play draw rule. So this is actually in order, and and it's okay that this stuff happens out of order. There's lots of, like, you know, for game two, or, or we're going we're gonna to sideboard, maybe reveal some stickers, drop a companion on you. Uh, maybe maybe we don't determine who the who's actually playing and drawing until we present our decks. Or we start to draw our opening hands and realize that we haven't figured it out. It's okay that this stuff happens out of order as long as everything's going fine. Okay? So, um, it's okay if this happens out of, out of order with the other stuff. However, if you win the die roll or you're to see who goes first or you're the designated player because you lost the last game. If, you, if we've gotten to the point where you've already looked at your hand... Okay, regardless of whether you're going to mulligan or not, but the second that hand is looked at, you're you're on the play. Like if you were the decider and you look at your hand, you are on the play. Okay, also if you don't say anything, you are assumed to be going first. Okay, so that's that's kind of the the line. Like yeah, all this stuff can happen out of order, but once you see what's in your hand, you 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 donezo. So the reason for this is because of. Yeah, it, it's because of the assumption made about about games and, and about how magic is played. Typically, it is in a one-on-one match, the person who plays first is typically mathematically advantaged to win in a mirror match or in, a, in an identical match of some kind um, because they get the chance to make the first move. Um, so, And also, you, know, you should not know what's in your opening hand to decide whether it's a better hand for if you were on the play right. or on the draw. That decision right. has mm-hmm. to be made right. in the blind without any further information, which is why as soon as you have access to that information, that's that. You are just that, going first because that's it. That's even more important. So um, taking those two things together, if you have not done anything to indicate that you're on the play and you won the die roll and you do one of these actions, you are on the play. Next up, let's talk about the next phase of the pregame procedure, which is sideboarding if it's allowed. So remember, you cannot sideboard for your match during the first game of a match. So typically the first time that you can actually sideboard for a game is when you're going to game two. However, there are some exceptions where you may not be sideboarding for game two of your match. Specifically, let's say game one doesn't happen because of a penalty that was assessed before game one started. Let's say your opponent didn't show up for five minutes after the round started because, you know, they just had to have that one Subway sandwich. So, great. They've lost the first game. Therefore, you're going to start game two. But importantly, you're not going to sideboard 
unless you have already played a game in this match that you are seated for. So in this instance, you're going straight to game two after that tardiness penalty. No sideboarding yet. The first opportunity you'll have will be game three. Yeah. A, a thing that has happened in theory. Okay. I don't actually know of this happening for real, but the situation where um, I've, I've heard it called, and it's been a long time, but the, the, um, the, the gentleman's draw. Okay. After mm. four, you know, you've, you and your opponent have both mulliganed three times and you look <laughs> and you're just like, do you want to just draw this game and then go back to seven and like start over? I used to and do this all the time at my LGS. Okay. Well then sure. Uh, but then the person immediately, one of the people immediately goes, okay, well, since we're going to game two, I get to sideboard. N no. No, you don't. I've you never didn't done that actually play. Yeah, that's that's the that is prohibited. That is no, you can't do that. The first game that you actually physically play, you do not get to sideboard. Okay. So, uh, oh, and then so so now here we go. Technically, technically, after you sideboard and before you start shuffling, you are supposed to reveal your companion. Gentle listener, that is a two-word note in our notes tonight, and we have had untold discussion about companions. It can be and, told. And it can be told. In fact, we're going to tell at least a good part of it, aren't we? Yeah. So let's let's revisit revisit this. This was number five. Let's revisit revisit this after we do number seven. Sure, it makes sense to do it okay. that way, right? Okay. Yep. Um, so so the next thing is is that um, and and. This is definitely all mine because we know Brian's feelings about this matter. Um, I mean, what's it say in the notes? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> players, players, it says sticker nonsense, friends. Um, it says sticker nonsense. Yeah, it, players, after they reveal companions, if there are stickers involved, they reveal the stickers. Uh, they reveal their sticker sheets that they're allowed to pick three from at random, and then they randomly select three of them. And the number of <sighs> count shall be three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> count thou not two stickers unless immediately followed by three. Four stickers is right out. <laughs> Ask your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So what's after sticker nonsense? Uh, at that point, we're going to shuffle our deck. And... If you're in a game that allows sideboarding, you can shuffle, change your sideboard, shuffle again, sideboard again, shuffle again. Just don't take too much time when you can do this because as long as you're at the shuffling part of this, you're fine. You can shuffle your deck and you go, oh, actually, you know what? I should sideboard this one card for the other. This is actually gonna be a better idea. Great, let me go ahead and pick it right back up. Totally fine, just don't waste anybody's time. But that brings us to, yeah. Yeah, the, sec the second time you change your sideboard, you might get a little bit of an eyebrow raise. The third time that you want to change your sideboard in between shuffling, we're going to have a conversation. So you know, don't, don't waste time. Make a decision. Stick with the decision. Play through it. See how that works out for you. You don't have to sit there and be wishy-washy about deciding what your sideboard uh, changes are going to be. Yeah. And now this brings us to some talks and some discussion that we alluded to. So let's say I shuffle my deck, I change my sideboard a little bit, I shuffle again. Now what happens if 
I my opponent tries to re-sideboard after I've already flipped over and said, oh, my companion is Yorian. And he, what happens here? Well, the order of operations here um, goes back to the companions were revealed before we started shuffling. So, it, but sideboarding happened before the companions, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that how how does that work? This is where we got stuck because, and I'm sure Charles will love that I'm bringing this up, but because there hasn't really been an update to some of our guiding policies that really outlines some of this minutia here. We kind of have to find a common sense answer, or at least a philosophically sound answer, to address something that's just not really well written out in policy at the moment. And we don't know, and we don't know even when we do get policy changes, if this particular bit of minutia will be addressed, because policy sometimes does not address uh, the 0.1% of situations. Yeah. So the, the, the situation kind of is, is the, the way the rules are set up is after you finish sideboarding, that's when companions get revealed. So the fact that we let you, you know, shuffle, shuffle, sideboard, shuffle, sideboard is just kind of a, a, a acknowledgement of, of how people play. You know, they'll, they'll put three cards in and then they'll shuffle, they'll do that thing where they shuffle and they'll be thinking about it because they're not actually done sideboarding. So realistically, if this becomes a problem, then the judge just kind of enforces the, okay, is everybody done sideboarding now? Cool. <laughs> okay, now reveal, and now we're going to go into the shuffling. Okay, does everybody understand? Yes? Okay, good. Do the thing. You know, <laughs> only be politer or more polite. Remember, you don't have to reveal companion if it's not your intention to use it. If you are strategically going to choose not to reveal a companion because you're not going to play it in game one, you don't have to. Yeah. It's not a requirement. Yeah. Just because it's a step doesn't mean it's a requirement. Yeah. Yep. Now, then, a, thing, a, a thing I'm going to point, point out real quick is this uh, with regard to determining the, the play draw rule. Because I was just looking at the pregame procedures in the CR... Uh, and comparing it to the pregame in the MTR, they're actually slightly different. They are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The the CR basically says, determine who goes first, and then you do the sideboard, then you reveal the companions, and then you do sticker nonsense, and then you shuffle your deck, and then you present. The pregame procedures, instead of saying when you're supposed to do it in the MTR, it actually defines the last, the latest point of when you can do it. Mm-hmm. which is right before you present or, or sorry right uh right after you present before you draw your seven cards okay sorry go on and so that brings up a question so what if we start being human and decide to do some things out of order i forgot to reveal my companion that i cited boarded into or maybe that i played in game one etc but because now my opponent saw that i didn't reveal my yorian they assumed, oh, maybe they're not playing the Yorian. Or maybe Magarin's not a great example because I can't really sideboard out because I still have 80 cards in my deck. But let's say a Kahira or whatever it is. Let's say I reveal that after they've done their sideboarding and shuffling, etc. And I go, oh, yeah, and also I have a Kahira here. What happens there? I'm actually fine with that because there, there's actually shuffling and presenting. There are no decisions being made, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when you get into... I'm thinking about mulligans. I'm making mulligan decisions now. That absolutely, uh, that's that's too late. Right. 
Right. I don't want to get into a case where we are arguing with players over who did what last when the end result is, is when you get to the point where you're presenting your deck, that's when it's go time. Okay. So the stuff Mm -hmm. that happens beforehand, I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I can't remember the last time I actually rolled dice before I shuffled my deck. I, (laughs) I, I honestly can't. I, I sit down and yeah. I'm shuffling my deck as my opponent's sitting down or I'm sitting down and I start shuffling because naturally that's something that I want to do first. And then we deal with the dice roll. You know, there, there are a lot of things in here that are a little soft in terms of what happens first. You know, we have a written procedure and this is what it's supposed to be and that's something that we can fall back on. Uh, but it's not something that is so amazingly ironclad because it doesn't always make sense to the players and how they actually do things yeah and also there's not really much like for example if i'm sitting down and my opponent reveals a kahira it's not like any of the sideboard decisions i made are that out of line now that i know that they have access to this one creature typically like if i know that we're sideboarding we've played a game already so odds are i at least see the giant stack that you have there and assume you're playing a urian deck even if you didn't present it originally or you just revealed your companion like most people who play companions will in game one therefore i know what i should be sideboarding for whether you have it in there or not is a relatively minuscule adjustment to your sideboarding strategy so i don't see that as a huge deal it may not even be an adjustment because if you see what they're playing and you see that they've got you know x number of counter spells and they've got x number of creatures and the creatures are this style you're you're playing that game you're not playing the yeah. game where you're as worried about the one companion because you figure that the companion's there at that point in time. You're, you've, that's the answer that you have. You have you have two Furies or whatever. That's what you're going to bring in this time. Um, yep. It's, 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 just, it's just how it rolls. It, it works out. Um, we don't need to... I don't think we need to belabor it too much more. All right. So with the, the next up, we, we've shuffled and we present... Um, now this is this is a thing. If you are um, a judge and you are watching a match, slow play is still a thing. You can still be watching the players, and they can still get slow. Sl- they don't just get slow play after time has been called in the round. You can <laughs> actually hit people with slow play at the very beginning. Yeah, provided that the clock has started. If the clock has not started yet, and they somehow had six minutes to do all this stuff. No, 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 that's fine. But if they if they started and took six minutes after the clock had started, yeah, 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 that's a problem. But presenting the deck, presenting the deck, you are you are telling your opponent that this is a legal deck. You know, it's it's lawyer speak for like I, the undersigned, doth do declare that this is a a <laughs> deck that is both complete, legal, and fully randomized uh, for your uh, cutting pleasure. Um. Your opponent uh, has the choice to shuffle at regular rel, okay, and at comp- but at competitive rel and professional rel, players are required to shuffle. It's it's actually in the CR that says you're required to shuffle, okay. Do you, do you know why we require the like the the rules say like they might not actually do it. They might just reach over and tap it, or they might cut it or whatever. But the rules say that you have to shuffle your opponent's deck. Why? <sighs> For I me, assume to just had... make sure that you're not stacking anything in your favor yeah. with those yeah. really particular sleight of hand 
cuts and shuffles that we've all seen on Twitch and many a Twitter feed. Yeah, it, it's got it's, it's got to come back to that. to that. It's very close to that. Okay. What what it is is it's trying to eliminate um, accusations of that. Like if someone presents, if someone let's say someone legitimately shuffles their deck, okay, and they present to their opponent, and then their opponent chooses not to cut, and then they proceed to draw, like, top deck the four cards that they need to to win, and the opponent starts complaining. Well, you had a chance to shuffle, and you didn't take it. Like, the rules actually say that you're supposed to do it, and you didn't. Again, this is the person actually did everything legit, right? Mm-hmm. It eliminates that. Additionally, there are some cultures where cutting or shuffling your opponent's deck is basically telling them that you don't trust them. So by putting it in the CR that you have to shuffle, you eliminate that. I'm just following... I'm not accusing you of being a cheater. I'm following the rules. So you're making this point, and you're telling us about this, and we're going through this. So I'm sitting at a match, round two. Um, I have presented my deck to my opponent. My opponent cuts my deck, which is pretty standard fare for regular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then gives it back to me. And I call, I, I, you know, I'm disgruntled. I'm, I'm mad. I want to make sure that things are being done correctly. I yell for judge. What's the judge actually going to do there? Oh, because the opponent just, just, just cut, cut instead of yeah. shuffling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the judge is going to be, is going to look at the player that did the cutting do you feel that you sufficiently did whatever you need to do to to have last touch on this person's deck? Yes? Okay, go on. Right. I don't care. Right. Even though it's required by the way that the rules are written, um, the way that magic is played, if you cut and you're, you're satisfied that by cutting you've done the required minimum, great, fine. Go ahead and play. So you, now one of the things that we talked about... Uh, Presenting your deck to shuffle, uh, you are also supposed to present your sideboard, which no one does. <laughs> okay, but what are the advantages? There's some advantages of presenting your sideboard, right? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. So if you, I mean, if you present your sideboard, that means you are telling your opponent this this little pile right here of fifteen cards, and these fifteen cards only are my sideboard. Never mind the 18 cards that I just picked up from a vendor that are in my deck box that are playable in this format that could potentially cause me a problem if I get deck checked. Those aren't my sideboard. This is my sideboard. Now, you really should keep those separate. You really, 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 really should. It's just easier. Really should. But yes, but but presenting them is fine. What What's interesting is the cultural differences. Um, I learned that players in Japan will always sit down. They present their deck. And they present their sideboard. They put down the 15 cards, fanned out sometimes, face down, so that their opponent can see that they have their sideboard ready. It's interesting. We don't see that in America as much. And, and I'm not sure where else they do it, but um, it's, it's a rarity here, but it is a cultural institution there. And this is a thing, as a judge, and you are waiting to swoop to do a deck check, noticing if someone presented or did not present like when you walk up when you go to swoop you have you need to have noted where that sideboard is i also don't actually mind 
here's my sideboard, it's 15 cards, and then they put them back in the deck, you know, they put them back in the deck box. You presented those 15 cards, the opponent had the opportunity to see them, that those are the, those are the cards. Yeah. Um, and when we, when we say present here, we don't mean present them face up. Um, you know, it, it's... I mean, oh, if yeah. you want to. Important you, point. You can. You can. You, you, can, sure, you, you, can, you can swing the, you know... Swing for the fence. I'm confident. Whatever. But, um, you know, you don't have to do that. That's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Beat me? <laughs> there are some people that believe heads up is best. You know, give give everybody I, the, the deck. I mean, the yeah, it is. I mean, it absolutely it is. probably Okay, is. so you've presented your deck. You've presented your sideboard. We don't need to present anything else, right? Uh, depends. Well, How many it, decks do are, you have? Are you, are, you, are you playing with attractions? I, I I I heard I heard Brian Frank just <laughs> cried to a halt. He's like, I mean, attractions, I did, attractions. I, I did just put in the show notes. I just have a bunch of F's after <laughs> mention of this. Yeah, if you've got yeah. attractions, or if you have a uh, what is it, the gadget or gizmo deck or whatever it was from Unstable. If you've got one of those things, you also need to present that as well to your opponent because that should be shuffled as well. Yep. Yep. And then after all of that, and actually, one last thing before we finish up on the topic of presenting. So at the very top of presenting, we talked about how I am presenting to you. This means that you're telling your opponent that your deck is a complete, legal, and fully randomized deck. The other person you're telling that this deck is a complete, legal, and fully randomized deck is the judge who's waiting three tables over to come in and swoop your decks for a deck check. Because you presenting to your opponent says, this is legal, and therefore that judge sees you presenting and goes, cool, let me make sure. Trust but verify. You're not just telling the opponent. You're telling the universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're, just, you're, just putting, you're just putting it out there for the universe. Put out them good vibes. <laughs> I'm all about good vibes right. today. Yeah. All right. And, okay, so we've, we've done the present. And those, those two things, like I can present or player can present their deck. And while the other player is still shuffling and sideboarding and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So the two players, like all of this is kind of set up so that both players are kind of doing everything at the same time. But we can get out of sync real easy. Okay. You just just sit and wait. Or sometimes a player, while they're still shuffling and doing their thing, they'll just reach over and cut real quick. And then, okay, there you go. That's fine. Okay. But now, if you haven't, so both players have presented. If you haven't determined, this is this is the last... This is the, the the next to last second thing you gotta do. You gotta determine who's the who's the designated player is gonna player draw. This often, is this is it. Oftentimes, one player will ask the other player, "Are you on the play?" And that is simply asking, "Are you going to play first, or are you going to allow me to play first? And your first turn, you'll take the draw." Yep. Um, it's a very simple transaction. Uh, it happens thousands of times every Friday night across the land. And uh, it's just, uh, it's good courtesy. It's a nice way to, to start off the game. Yeah. And then the next thing that happens, you think, is draw cards equal to your starting hand. You'd think that, but it's really your life total becomes a starting life total. Yeah. And that might seem silly to outline, but like we talked earlier, things need to happen at some point officially in the game. And especially in depending on the game that you're playing, Vanguard is a format, as is Arch Enemy, uh, as is maybe some of these sanctioned events like Boss Monster at Magicons. 
that say you start with a different life total than you might assume of the typical 20 starting life. Whereas an arch enemy, the arch enemy requires you to have 40 life for the arch enemy and then 20 life for all those puny humans or, you know, the other players that are not arch enemies. So this is the point where that becomes a thing. And this is normally where you'll pull out your life pad, note down the life totals and go. But for more often than not, you're going to have 20 and 20 and you're just going to start with that. Cool. Well, now that we've established a starting life total and now that we uh, have our decks and everything's been presented and everybody's smiling and ready to do duel, um, you would draw your <laughs> cards to, to your starting. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're um, not. Uh, no, not really. Um, so you draw <laughs> your cards to your starting hand size. So starting hand size is always the same in sanctioned magic unless it's not for some reason. Um, again, boss monster magic con or vanguard or some wacky unformat um i don't know i think unformats mostly are seven but that's still okay um silliness aside you draw a seven uh so you take the bottom seven cards of your library no you don't whoa you do whoa, 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 yes whoa, yes whoa. you take whoa. the top seven cards from your library the best way to do this is either take them one at a time and put them in your hand as you count to seven or lay them out in front of you before you pick them up um, once you have a miscount, that's a whole new problem. So if you lay them out in front of you, you can see that they're seven, or if you pull them up one at a time into your hand, you are counting as you go, you know, you hit seven. Yeah. There's also counting, like laying out a bunch of cards to count seven. Like if I pull eight cards off the top of my library and fan them out face down and then go, Oh, that's the eighth card. And I just pick one of them up and put it back on top of the library. That's fine. I yep. didn't pick those cards up. I didn't see their faces. Randoms, randoms, random. The the first card that I pulled off and the and the eighth card that I pulled off, it's the same thing. So who cares? Okay. Um, so yeah, that is not considered anything. It's not like, oh, they pulled all these cards off the top. Nope. They you you are allowed to oopsie grab one or two extra cards when you are counting face down the cards to draw for turn. Yep. And then we have or a not decision for, for game. Right. We have, a, we have a decision point then. Um, we're looking at those seven cards that we've drawn, and it is time to decide whether or not to mulligan the hand. Uh, this is another step in the process. <clears throat> we don't really need a history here. But the important thing is, is that mulliganing is the next step. Um, you look at the seven cards and you determine, hey, I have enough lands and spells. Uh, my hand is good. I'm going to keep this hand. If for some reason you're not going to keep the hand because you have one land or you have six lands or you have uh, all spells that are five mana and more, whatever the reason may be, um, you may not like the color combination. You will take those seven cards, put them back on top of your lot. If you're the active player or the player who's going first, uh, you'd make the decision first about mulliganing. You put the cards on top of your library, you bottom. shuffle bottom. Yep, it shouldn't matter because it shouldn't matter shuffle. because we're going to shuffle and we're going to represent. Right. Um, right. And then when we represent, we start over at the uh, point where we're presenting to our opponent. They then shuffle, uh, return the deck to you, and then you draw seven new cards. That's the current mulliganing process. When you are done um, mulliganing, if you mulligan once or you mulligan three times, you return the number of cards equal to the number of mulligans you've taken to the bottom of your library. 
So if you mulligan three times, you put three cards at the bottom of your library, your choice, and then you proceed to start your turn, whenever, whether you're the designated player or the draw player, um, with the number of cards that you have mulliganed down to. And if we want to throw in another fun little curveball here, any effects that happen, quote, any time that player could mulligan, and I'm looking specifically at one card, Serum Powder, ask your parents, that is specifically when you would choose to perform a mulligan. Instead of doing the mulligan of shuffling it all back in, you do what the card says. In this instance, exile those cards from your hand and draw a new seven, and then make this initial mulliganing decision based off of those with your original hand off to the side in the exile zone. It didn't replace your mulligan, despite using that word instead, like all of our replacement effects do, but for all intents and purposes, that's because the game rules don't happen until the game starts, and we haven't started the game yet. We're still mulliganing. And we talk about mulligans in this very formal sense. Uh, this is for regular REL, for Friday Night Magic, all the way up to professional magic. If you are playing Commander, mulligan however your playgroup wants to mulligan. <laughs> Um, yeah. You don't have to do this process. In fact, this process with a 100-card deck becomes a little onerous. Uh, it's entirely possible that your table may decide, hey, we're all going to draw 10 and then keep 7. Or you can mulligan as many times as you need to until you have a good opening hand. Or any number of different things. If you're playing competitive EDH uh, under sanctioned magic rules and so on, you still have to mulligan the way that we're mulliganing here. Um, but for the most part, when it's that casual thing... Do whatever the table agrees. Yeah. And for that, remember, we discussed this earlier, but quick reminder, you do get one free mulligan in multiplayer. So just like everybody can draw on the first turn, in multiplayer, you do also get that one free mulligan. And again, that applies to the same rule, specifically multiplayer, not a game with more than two people like Two-Headed Giant. You do not get a free mulligan there. Actually, wait, do you? Did I blink on that? Say that again. Do you Say get a free mulligan in two-headed giant because it's a one-game yes. format? Yep. Yes, you do. Yes. Yep. There you go. Never mind. Yeah. Forget everything I just said. In two-headed well, giant, you get it. that just not because two-headed giant part. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In the two-headed giant part, you do still get that free mulligan, but it's specifically because it's a one-game match. So let's have some mercy on you. You're playing two-headed giant. So now we might want to start talking about some problems. That could come up here and how you might want to solve them, especially at a sanctioned event, whether it's regular or competitive. Some things can go awry here when it comes to mulligans. Sure. Um, with comp um, rules enforcement level, we have the mulligan procedure error. Um, yeah, I've, I've always found the mulligan procedure error a little bit fascinating because it seems to be a little open-ended. Um, it gives you a couple of examples. It's not as detailed as some of the other as some of the other uh, errors for tournament errors or for game rule violations. In this case, it gives you basically two examples, and they those two examples are after taking a mulligan, you decide which cards six cards you want to keep in my hand, and then you realize you put two cards on the bottom, and only at that point you realize you had drawn eight for your starting hand. Um, that's a mulligan procedure error. You have drawn too many cards. You have seen too many cards. You have made decisions based upon those too many cards. So we're going to have to fix that. Uh, another case is you lay out eight cards face down on the play map, but before picking them up, you count them again and realize you put too many cards down. Um, we just kind of talked Wait. about that. Yeah, did you just say that that was a... That, that's listed here as an example. 
No, no, no. That's a, a oh, player. These aren't draws RPG eight cards. examples. I just threw these out as examples in the notes. Oh, before. Oh, oh, okay. So, so in this case, scratch that. Don't listen to that. <laughs> um, because if they are not seen yet, you just fix that. Um, yeah. There's a there's a second mulligan procedure error. I'm going to go dig it up. Yeah, the second the second example is uh, so the two examples from the the mulligan procedure error are a player draws eight cards at the start of game instead of seven. Or a player chooses not to take a mulligan, then takes a mulligan after seeing their opponent choose to take a mulligan. Now that example right there assumes that it's the designated player chose not to take a mulligan and then takes a mulligan after seeing the opponent. Like a thing a thing that can happen is is I'm still, you know, I'm still looking at my hand. I'm the uh I'm the designated player, and my opponent says, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a mulligan. Okay. I uh, the play, the, the active player I was supposed to declare first. Okay. So, so that doesn't, that doesn't like lock me out or anything like that. I could say, no, 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 I'm going to take a mulligan. And then the opponent's like, oh, well, if you're going to take, if you're going to take a mulligan, then I'm not going to take a mulligan because the other player is supposed to have the information as to whether or not you are, aren't going to mulligan fun. Okay. Uh, yes, but that's, that's the thing. Like players, players can do this kind of stuff out of order. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be that big of a deal unless we start getting into a situation where they are, you know, getting eight cards, they're trying to make a decision from eight cards, or they um they are trying to they've gained information from their opponent of and then they're trying to change their decision. Like they're supposed to make a declaration first. They get information that they're um uh, then they get additional information, they try and change things. The other example, the player chooses not to take a mulligan and then takes a mulligan after seeing their opponent choosing to take one. Going out, basically trying to change your change your mind uh, out of order. Yeah, and you have to always be asking yourself, where is the advantage being gained here? You know, if there's no advantage, then whatever, just deal with it. It's when you could be gaining that advantage that, okay, now we have to start applying something to, uh, why am I blanking on the word? To disencourage you, to disincentivize you from taking advantage. Yep. So all right, and to do that, we so, give you a warning. So that's that's mulliganing. Now another thing that can happen is there are things that happen at the beginning that can happen at the very beginning of the game. Okay, um, like the the pregame actions, like ley lines or chancellors or something like that. Like you could still actually be, or you're a player could still be mulliganing. And someone, the other players, dropping ley lines and stuff. He's <laughs> like, whoa, 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 you know, you, you just broadcast additional information that the player wants to use that information in their mulligan decisions. Okay, uh, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have shown your cards, <laughs> figuratively and literally. Okay, so uh, for mulligan procedure error, so if you if you bought your mull, okay, um, the penalty or the infraction is mulligan procedure error. The penalty is a warning, finger wag. And then the fix is just take an additional mulligan. You're going to be down another card. Pretty simple. It's Yep. It's quick, easy to fix. And after each mulligan, uh, there is going to be another opportunity to shuffle. There is going to be another present presentation, all that stuff. It should not take that long to shuffle away those seven cards in the deck. Like, it is not a full, you know, I just sideboarded or I just sat down and I did the full, like, two minutes of shuffle. It should not take that long. Slow plays a thing, judges. Okay. So now we've been talking for 
almost an hour. <laughs> and finally the game begins. <laughs> you know, like, like uh, we had this one episode like way, way back. Like episode like 20 or something was called like slowest bolt ever. Slowest start ever. Um, yeah. So, uh, so even though the game has officially begun after mulligans have been decided, there are some pregame actions that you can do. <laughs> Yes, because so we're not actually done. Yeah, we we've started the game, but this is the pre-game part. It's basically like tailgating <laughs> and getting good and drunk. So, so what are some pre-game pre-game actions? Well, pre uh, pre-game actions. I just want to point out one last thing about MPE. Uh, so, with Mulligan procedure error, that only happens literally. You can only catch it while you are mulliganing. Once you're outside of that field and you're done with the mulliganing, if you catch the result of that error, you're no longer a mulligan procedure error. You can't be three turns into a game and call mulligan procedure error. Instead, it would become an HCE or a GRV. So if, if, if line, it's to be assessed, if it's to be assessed at all at that point, if, if you've gone that far into a game. Correct. So this line of where the game officially begins is after your mulligans are decided. This is the point where your mulligan procedure ends and the game begins, including all the game rule violations and HCEs and all the other things that happen while you're actually playing. Uh, maybe alluded earlier to also the fact that you can look at notes before the game starts. This is that line where you can now no longer review any of these notes that you made outside of your match. Your game is on. And now you're just limited to the notes that you're taking while you're actively a part of this game. And yeah. then we and, go to pregame actions. Yeah, I, I will also add that because, like, again, because things can occur in in different, at slightly different times, like your your game and your opponent's games might actually occur at a different time on the clock. Okay, like mm. if you're done mulliganing and you start dropping ley lines, your game has begun. If your opponent is still mulliganing, their game has not begun. <laughs> Okay, it's always, I know it's, a little, yeah, it's yeah. a little weird. It's always really good to establish with your opponent, are you ready to start? Um, it sounds very pedantic, but it's the best way to avoid confusion over situations about whether or not it's okay to throw that island down on the board. Well, we have uh, ley lines. <laughs> okay. Right? I love um, those ley lines. What do ley lines do? Ley, ley lines is a cycle of cards or cycles of cards. Uh, that have an option to be played before the uh, first turn, right? Um, if it's in hand, if it's in your starting hand, most of them read something along those lines. You may play this before your opponent starts their turn or before you start your turn. If it's in your opening hand, and your opening hand is defined as the hand you stopped mulliganing on. Right. Whether it's five or, or one. Um, if it's still there, you can play it first. Yeah. Okay. And uh, any of these will actually of... have that text. Uh, you may reveal this card from your opening hand. Like our next cycle that we talk about, the Chancellor cycle from New Phyrexia, all say you may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, something, a trigger of some sort. Yep. Uh, uh, Gemstone Cavern, if, you're, I love this if one it's in your opening in hand, hand okay, then go for it. Take it. Okay. I love this card, the next example, because it made it into the top eight at our most recent Modern Pro Tour, playing my favorite deck, Amulet Titan, so I have a special affinity for this one. 
Uh, but Gemstone Cavern also uniquely cares about who the starting player is. Uh, unlike a lot of other different cards like the Chancellors or the Ley Lines, they just care about being in your opening hand. Gemstone also cares uh, whether you are on the draw. And as we said earlier, you can't just draw your seven, see that you have a gemstone cavern, and say, oh, I'd like to be on the draw. <laughs> no. Okay. What is Sphinx of Foresight? What is I, that? I just looked that up. It says, you may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, scry three at the beginning of your first upkeep. It's a creature for two and a blue that comes in and does a scry thing as well. Um, but by, you know, saying, hey, I have Sphinx of Foresight in my hand, and you reveal it to your opponent, you get to do that action. Okay. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> yep. And then there's a note, maybe some other conspiracy or plane chase or Doctor Who we overlooked. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's sure. there's more cards around the corner every day. In fact, um, we're going to be talking about that in just a second. There's, there's always something new. Uh, brewing in the labs at R&D for Wizards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at this point, after those pregame actions have taken, after you've you've tailgated, um, you, you're you're done. If if time has not started in the round, uh, you can't continue past this point. If time has started, keep on going. Yeah, that's sort of like you're you're out in the parking lot tailgating, and they haven't opened the stadium up yet. You can't go inside. It's a really interesting thing. I think there are a lot of players that come out to their very first tournament uh, of bigger magic, and they don't understand that everything that we just talked about, all of it, uh, can happen so long as the the uh, round has not started. But once you get to the point where you're going to put the, your first land into play, the player's going to take their first turn. You absolutely have to wait until time on the round starts. Okay, yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a story about this particular interaction that that touches on this particular interaction. I am not surprised. I am no, excited. Is, <laughs> I am excited. I think I, I think I've told this once before. This is this is the very first event I had judged after I made level three in like so so like a decade ago. It's a it's a side event. It's a large side event at GP Miami. Okay, it's um we we pair a bunch of players um and. One of the players, before we've started the round, a player comes up and says that he doesn't, things aren't right. You know, like he's he's paired up against the wrong opponent. So our scorekeeper, which was Nicholas Saban, says, okay, I'm going to need to uh, fix this by doing a, uh, a cascade repair. And he writes down like four table numbers really quick. And he says, go and go and stop these players. Go and go and break that. You know, I'm going to need to break these matches. Stop these players. So I, even though I'm head judge, I was there and I'm going out to, to help get this, get this going, get this resolved. Because it was a lot, it was several matches. Um, and I go to one particular table and they had already started. They were like in turn two. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to need to break, break this match. And one of the players who is like playing a red deck, he's, he's like, no, I'm, it's like, I got the nut draw. I'm not stopping i'm like yeah you are this game's over okay scorekeeper's gonna need to pair you guys against another opponent we haven't even started the round yet what are you guys doing and while i am there adamantly this game is not a game that is happening i'm going to split you guys up the new match slip comes up and it's the (laughs) same two players oh no okay now what is your what would your assumption be if you got that if you're in that situation, 
as the player or the head judge? As a head judge. So you have you've been told the scorekeeper said he's got to break those two matches apart and pair them and do a cascade repair and fix this. And you get a new slip and it's the same two players. Basically, there's 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 only two choices. It's either a the scorekeeper messed up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or and and here was the other thing. The the match slip came. The players had reversed. Like player one and player the, the the player one was player two on the new match slip. So clearly they'd been split and then put back together differently, right? I got nothing. So is so this, I'm this like, is, is this round one? No, this is like round, round three or four. Round three or four. I don't know. Okay. I, I mean, I know Nicholas. I, I don't think it's. Yep. So I'm like, hold you guys, hang on. This game is over. Pack it up, and then because I'm assuming that there was a mistake because there was four or five different matches. Nicholas was judge, juggling a lot. There's probably there's probably a mistake. So I go there, and Nicholas says, "Oh no, I ended up not having to break them." And so I'm walking back, and this player had oh. been pretty pretty contentious. Like he'd been he'd been borderline mean. Like I was I was I was not enjoying my time with this gentleman. And so the whole time I'm like, man, this is, oh, I kind of, I, you know, wh- how am I going to handle this? Because I'm going to go up there and be like, hey, you guys, uh, yeah, it's correct. I, I know I just told you to put everything away, but uh, you're going to, you're going to be playing each other again. Oops, sorry <laughs> about that. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to, and I get up there and I see that the the one player, the angry guy, had not let his opponent pick everything up. Like, had basically like, no, we're leaving this. No, we're not touching it. Don't take it out. And I got, and I get up there, and I saw that. And I had this moment of, it's like, what? No, no, no. I took, in, in my head, I'm like, I told you that this game was over. It's like, like, this is absolute crap. I'm gonna, and then this little voice in the back of my head was like, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. No, this is a good thing. Good, this is, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. This is fine. And I, and I was, and I just had this moment of like, again, like internal monologue. It was like, explain how. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you were just like 10 seconds ago, like fretting the condition that you're just about to try and create. So, so instead, just let him go. And I was just like, oh yeah, okay. So so the interaction that the players probably saw is me walk up, like, go like, wait, you didn't pack things up? Like, frown for like a long three count. And then it was like, all right, well, the scorekeeper solved uh, everything problem. You are playing against your correct opponent. Please continue on. Have a nice day. Here's your two-minute extension because the clock was running. By the time we resolved that, bye. <laughs> like, I scurried away. But oh, that it is was magnificent! Just, it was just this emotional roller coaster of just like of like anger and fear and like ah <laughs> oh, worry and then more anger and then suddenly like a, a a dignified tuck the tail and run kind of thing. <laughs> it was amazing. I give you All credit right. for for recognizing when to bail there. Yeah, it 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 probably was from the outside looking in. It was probably a good three count as my as the little hamster on the wheel was just like you know it's like oh, I gotta get going. And he just kind of started started running, stumbled a few times, and got going. <laughs> That's but amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. it was just it was just like no, this is this is bad. And it was like, no 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 no. Shush, 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 shush. 
You're f- Brian, You're fine. Brian, don't wreck this for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So shut, shut up. Whatever it is you were about to say, don't say it and just listen for a second. It's like, okay, what? Um, uh, all right, so there's, there's the story. That's great. Well, um, it's been an amazing first episode with Marcus here joining us uh, officially, and we're very thankful to have him here. So with that, I think that's our episode, right? We're all good? We got there. We got there. All right, so that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about the wilds of Eldraine. That's right, folktale fans, we're going to do a deep dive pre-release episode on the fall set. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Until then, I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Marcos Sanchez, and I keep it fun. And I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep greedy one-land hands in Commander. Commander.